It's great to be with you this morning. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. In light of the isolation that we're all living in, I think now is an especially important time. Moms, that you hear that we love you and we see you. Be encouraged. You are not alone. We praise God for you. We're so thankful for the roles that you've played in so many of our lives. So thank you. Happy Mother's Day. It's great to be with you this morning. If you were with us last week, you know that we are beginning a new journey, uh, starting a new sermon series called God's New Community, where those of us who have been united with Christ through faith and been recreated into becoming new humanity, the new humanity truly human because of being united with Christ, we are now collectively brought together into something that is much larger than ourselves. You are now a part of the church, God's new community. And throughout all of Scripture, we see a number of different metaphors that the Bible uses to give us understanding as to what it means that we're a part of the church. It's described as the body of Christ, which we'll look at this morning and for the next two weeks, the bride of Christ, the temple of God, and the family of God. And it's appropriate that we're talking about the church on Mother's Day, because in the 200s, in the third century, one of the early church fathers, Cyprian, Uh, He said this, he said, no one can have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. And what he means is that to be restored in fellowship with God, to be restored and reconciled to God, being indwelled by the Holy Spirit also means that you've been placed into something much larger than yourself. If you're united with Christ, then you're also one with the church, God's community, See, Christianity is not just a me and Jesus thing, but it's an us and Jesus thing. So to fully understand who we are, to have a true sense of our identity, we have to to, to find ourselves in relationship and restored relationship with God vertically and also in community with the church horizontally. And the fact that we're actually in the middle of this pandemic uh, where I'm sitting in our worship center and the seats are all empty and you're all in your homes and, and makes this series on the church really important right now. It's very timely. It's also a little bit dangerous. Let me explain what I mean by that. It's important to talk about the church right now because everything that we know of as church, the way that we've practiced, the forms that church has taken for us for most of our entire lives is so totally different right now. And since we're not able to gather together, there is something that we're missing. It's, it's, it's not as it's intended, but it doesn't mean that church has been canceled, so to speak. We've had to be creative in how we gather like we are right now and, and really wrestle to understand, understand what does it mean to be the church during this difficult and strange time. See, we've so strongly connected the idea of what it means to be the church to a building or an hour service or so once a week. It's really important that we now discover what does it really mean to be the church? We all too often talk about going to church rather than being the church. And if you want proof, just ask your kids what the church is. And I'm pretty sure you'll get a clear picture of how we have talked about it. And that's just the way our English language kind of uses that word. But it's important now that we discover what it means to be the church since everything looks different. It's also a little bit dangerous. And here's why I say that. Because what a a pandemic does, especially one of this global proportion, what it tends to do is it tends to narrow our our focus of life and, and our world shrinks to just what is right in front of us. And we're tempted to be consumed by our immediate context and be turned inward on ourselves. 
And some of that happens for what seems to be very natural and obvious reasons. We're not leaving our homes as much, so our world is smaller. We're not interacting with as many people. Many of us have stopped watching the news or at least greatly decreased our news intake because it just doesn't seem to be that helpful for us. And so we're, we're stressed and we're anxious and, and everything seems smaller and we become a little more irritable. And because of that, when we go and start talking about the church and we start thinking about the community around us and the body of Christ, well, it's very easy, it actually becomes instinctive to see the church through that same small, narrow, focused lens. And we begin to think subconsciously that the church's purpose is to meet my needs and to make me happy and to fulfill me. And we start to elevate our preferences. We take what we think should be and it becomes what must be. Which is why this morning it's so important that right on the front end of discovering, of of unpacking what God's new community is, that we take our eyes off of ourselves, off of our problems, and we fix our eyes on Jesus. This morning, that's what we want to do. Christ, who is the head of the church, as we're going to discover this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And feel free to pause this if you need to get yourself set up and find a Bible. This is one of the most beautiful, Christ-exalting passages throughout all of Scripture. Very similar to Philippians chapter 2, many consider this to be an ancient hymn that the early church would sing in praise. It just resounds with praise and adoration for Christ. And so, hear the word of the Lord from Colossians chapter 1, from verses 15 to 22. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Father, would you give us this morning a greater sense of your love? May we fix our eyes on Jesus this morning, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And as we stare at him, as we gaze at him, Would you transform us into his image with ever-increasing glory, as 2 Corinthians 3 says, make us like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning and for the next two weeks, we'll be looking at what it means for the church to be the body of Christ. And it's really one of the most creative and engaging ways of understanding who we are as a church is to think about the body. And next week, Pastor Jin will be doing his second uh, candidate sermon uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and what it means to, to be diverse within the body of Christ. And following that, Pastor Bill will be talking about the unity inside the body of Christ in from, from the book of Ephesians. But this morning, we're going to talk about what it means that Christ is the head of the body. And you see that in verse 18. You see that Christ is the head of the body, the church. He's the founder, the authority of the church, the one who provides for the church, leading and sustaining us. 
giving wisdom and guidance to her. And in the same way that there might be a head of an organization or a company, Christ is the head of the church, and yet it's not in a far-off, removed, distant way, but it's intimate in the way that my head is connected to my body and really is one with my body. You don't think about my head as separate from my body, but there's unity there. And yet there is authority and power to direct and sustain everything else that happens in my body. It comes from the head. It's a metaphor that Paul's using to help us understand who Jesus is. And, and this morning, I want to try and do a couple of things. I want us to look through this passage again and discover who Jesus is, is revealed in this section. And why it's really good news that Jesus is the head, that he is Lord of his church. And finally, what does it mean for us to be, what is the significance that Christ is the head? How do we live as part of the body with Christ as the head? So if we begin back in verse 15, we find that the Son is the image of the invisible God. And if, if you start to hear the word image, I don't know if your mind does this, but my mind jumps back to the book of Genesis. And I hear, hear an echo of Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, where it says that God made mankind in his image. Humanity's job was to represent God on earth. If people wondered, boy, I wonder what the invisible God, whom I can't see, is like. Well, they were designed to be able to look at humanity and see a glimpse see a little bit, to to be image bearers of God. So in a certain way, God who is invisible, in a sense, becomes visible through humanity. But of course, you know the story that the first Adam failed to accurately represent God, and through his disobedience, the whole world was plunged into sin and death. But along comes Jesus, who is the image, the full image of God, who is described later as the final Adam, the true and better Adam who lived every single moment of every single day in submission and obedience to the Father. If you're not amazed by that, that means you might have been checking out for the last couple minutes. Because that means that in the test of obedience, Jesus woke up every day and ran that race to completion. He was tempted in every way, just like we were, and yet was without sin. I can barely go 10 minutes in a day without sinning by my action or by my lack of action or my attitude. And yet Jesus did it every single day, even if I could make it 24 hours without sinning. I still have to wake up and do it again tomorrow. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He is the image of the invisible God. So much so that in John chapter 14, he says to his disciples, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In Christ We have everything we need to know about who God is. The fullness, verse 18, of God dwells in Christ. Verse 15 continues to say that Christ is the firstborn over all creation. Well, what does that mean? Very briefly, the Apostle Paul is not using firstborn in a way to refer to a beginning of Christ, but instead he's referring to him in his his rank his place of superiority over all of the created order. See, being firstborn in 21st century America doesn't really mean much except for maybe some bragging rights among the kids in your family as to who's the oldest, but there's no real significance to it. But being the firstborn in Jesus' day meant everything. It's the firstborn who is the heir, who has the authority and the power in the family. Psalm 89 verse 27 is, I think, what Paul is referencing here when he calls Jesus the firstborn over all creation. Speaking of King David, Psalm 89, verse 27 says, I will appoint him, David, to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. So in other words, David is called God's firstborn, and yet he's not even the first king of Israel. 
But like typical Hebrew poetry does, the second line actually helps us understand what the first line means. So what does it mean that he's firstborn? It means that he is most exalted among the kings of the earth. He's the greatest. He's the one to whom all other kings are compared to. You can find that throughout all of scripture. He was a king like David. And so when Jesus is called the firstborn over all creation, what Paul is saying is that the fullest authority is given to Jesus over everything. And the next several verses begin to unpack reasons as to why that's the case. Why is, does he have full authority over all creation? You find verse 16, for or because in him, in Christ, all things were created. He's the creator and there's no exceptions. Things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, no exceptions. Everything is under the authority of Christ. Why? Because he's the creator. Whoever creates something owns it and has the right to do with it what they please. Which is really hard for us to grasp because there's not really much of anything that I own that I've actually made. Very few things. But we do have the idea of whoever owns it can do, whoever has bought it can do what they want to with it. If we're on the vacation together at the beach um, and I make a sandcastle, we all know it's just not right for you to walk over to my sandcastle and kick it and destroy it, right? That's injustice. We throw a fit about that. If it's mine, I've made it, then I have the authority over it. And because Christ is the creator of all, he has full authority over what he's made. Verse 16 goes on to say that all things have been created through him and for him. He is the purpose. He is the end. He is the reason for the existence of everything, including you and me. And this passage is, I think, really important for us. And it actually can reveal to us why it is so many of us are disappointed in our marriages, in our families, with our careers, feeling like we don't have enough power or money or pleasure. And it's because this passage is revealing to us that you were created by Jesus for Jesus, which means that he is the one who gives you purpose and meaning and fulfillment in life. You were not created by your spouse or your kids for your spouse or your kids. They are not, they don't give you purpose in life. Sure, they're important and love our families, but they cannot give you the ultimate sense of meaning and fulfillment in life. You were not created by your job, by money, by pleasure, for your job, money, or pleasure, which means those things cannot ultimately satisfy you. One another church father, Augustine, once said that you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Christ is the purpose for all things. This is both the church collectively and you personally. You do not exist for your own sake. You exist for the purpose of making much of Christ, of submitting to him, of bringing glory to him. And it's only in that place, with that purpose, that you'll find life. Life is found in Christ and knowing him and being loved by him. Scripture goes on, the passage goes on to talk about some other reasons as to why. He is before all things. Verse 18, he is the beginning. Verse 17, another important one. In him all things hold together and Boy, if that's not a a bit of good news for us, when it feels like this entire world is spinning out of control, inside your own minds, in your hearts, in government, in economics, in everything, it feels like it's out of control. Find rest in the fact that Christ holds all things together. For all these reasons and more, Christ is the head of the body of the church. 
But sometimes that kind of authority, that all-encompassing lordship and authority is, is, is intimidating and scary to us. We're afraid of anyone owning us. It feels anti-American. We fought to get rid of that type of tyranny. And even in our own American history, the idea of someone owning someone else is a stain on our past. It's directly connected to the idea of slavery and the inhumane treatment of someone based on the color of their skin or the origin of their birth. And we see the lingering effects of that today. If, if you've been watching the news this week, it's right in the forefront of your mind. In other words, when we think about authority, we're so used to seeing authority abused that we can't think of it in any other way. You can finish the sentence, absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's what we're used to. We see power go to people's heads. We see people using their authority and their power to make their lives better and other people's harder where they climb on top of them to gain more power, manipulating them. And yet, the fact that Jesus has all authority in his church and that he is Lord over all is the best news that you and I could ever hear. Because if you look at the rest of the passage, we start to see how Jesus uses his authority. What does he do with his power? Verse 19, we find, For God was pleased in him to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You were once alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. What you find is how does Jesus use his power, the infinite power that Christ has, the power that is beyond our imagination, that, that creates and sustains galaxies by simply the word of his mouth? What does he do with his power? He uses his power to reconcile what was broken, to fix what you and I have destroyed by our evil behavior. He used his power to become a servant, to become weak, to become like one of us through his physical body, shedding his blood on the cross to restore us to God. You see, on the cross, we find the fullest display of God's heart for us, that God would rather sacrifice himself using his authority to bless and to forgive us, he would rather use it that way than to crush you and demand that you repay your debt. He would willingly pay for you rather than demanding payment from you, giving you peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. And if that is how he uses his ultimate authority to make his life more difficult in order to make yours better, if that's the kind of God that he is, then I want to trust him. I want to follow him. I want to know him. Why would I not submit to him if that's how he's going to use his power, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's contrary to everything I feel inside? We cry out with one of my favorite men in all of scripture. We don't even know his name. Mark chapter 8, he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I want to trust you. Help my unbelief. Well, what does that do for us? A couple of quick ideas as we close. Number one, it's a reminder that no matter who is pastor of this church of Chelton, no matter who are the elders and the leaders of this church, Christ is the head, which means that we will continue to run to him together for wisdom, 
when we are committed to the reading and the teaching of God's word because we want to submit to what he says. We want to follow him. And we don't just want to be hearers of God's word, but we want to call one another and encourage one another to obey out of love for Christ, to submit ourselves to his will as he's revealed in scripture and through his spirit. And then what happens is as we experience his love for us, that his love actually awakens love for us in return. And we find in ourselves the same desire that the Apostle Paul expresses in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. And he says this, he says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Why? That I might gain Christ. In other words, everything else in life pales in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing, of being intimate, of having deep communion and relationship with Jesus. And as a church, that's why we'll continue to soak in Scripture and commit ourselves to, to prayer and to singing and speaking truth to one another. Which means the question for you this week is how will you use your conversations, your relationships, your interactions with others, whether that's in person with your family or, or virtually or, or at a distance from others. How will you use those conversations and your energy and your time to know Christ more, to make much of him? On April 22nd, Pastor Jen did our midweek update, which you can find on our website and on our Facebook page. But he asked a really important question. He says, what is it that stirs your affections for Christ? What is it that increases your love for him and he challenged us. He said, fill your life with those things, with scripture and listening to podcasts and sermons, taking walks in creation to enjoy quiet times alone with God, listening to music, which reminds us of Christ's goodness, direct our conversations around God and what he's doing in our lives as we spur one another on and serve one another in love. We want to fill our, thing, our lives with the things that increase our love for Christ and actually remove from our lives the things that would pull us away from him. And here's the thing about greatness as we've been reflecting on the greatness of Christ. Greatness is, is it, it draws us. We want to be around it. But the difference is human greatness doesn't transform us. Many sports fans right now are dying because there is no live sports on TV. So many are getting their fix by watching an ESPN documentary called The Last Dance, which is chronicling uh, the story and in a personal behind-the-scenes look at Michael Jordan, who is almost universally uh, regarded as the greatest basketball player of all time. But here's the thing. If I watched every second of that documentary, let's imagine Michael and I were friends and we hung out. I could spend a whole bunch of time with him, and it would not improve my jump shot or my handle one bit in basketball. In fact, it would probably just make me feel bad about myself as to how bad I am compared to him. But this is where Jesus is better, and he's different. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that as we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. As you and I spend time Fixing our eyes on Christ, that transforms us. As we grow in intimacy with him, he makes us like him. And Jesus is committed to using his power to purify us, to transform us. And as verse 22 says, to present us holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. So be encouraged this morning that Christ is the head of his church. He is supreme. 
He is above all in our lives personally and in our life as a church. Let's pray. Let's go to that God together this morning. Father, our prayer this morning is that we would be captured with Christ, that he would increase and that we would decrease in our eyes and that we would forsake everything else for the, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Lord, may our conversations be centered around you, making much of you, not much of ourselves. May we as a church and the individuals who comprise this church body, may we be known for people who can't get enough of Jesus, that we are obsessed with Jesus, that he captures our hearts and he reorients our loves and he fills the empty spaces in our minds. So transform us and make us like him so that as we go into this world, we may be able to represent you to be your image bearers of the new humanity as we interact with one another. Lord, for your glory, and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.